Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have a guest who's not going to be talking about the older speech students, more about the itty bitty ones. It's been a long time since I ever worked at that age group, and that is so not my expertise. But I know that so many of you out there either are considering switching, thought about it, do both, or that is the area that you focus on and would love to hear more tips and tricks for that age group. So Amanda Gerson from ABG Speech, welcome to the show. Hi, Hallie. Thanks for having me. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your SLP journey and how you came to be where you are right now. So my name is Amanda, and I'm the owner of ABG Speech Therapy. Right out of grad school, I started as a school-based SLP in a pre-K through eighth grade school. And to this day, I still am working in that elementary school. So I like to say I am a school SLP by day and a parent coach by night. (laughs) I love that. I love that. It it makes you so much more well-rounded and it makes you appreciate each age group and setting in a different way. Absolutely. What made you start working with the little ones and doing more parent coaching on the side? I found that I love what I do in the school system. And then as my friends started having babies and entering the the child phase, they I kind of became the go-to for everything speech and language related. So it really got me thinking that if my friends have these questions, 
then other people probably have these questions. So it's been really great to be a part of my friends' journeys and sharing that information and connecting with families. So, so true. And definitely when you are working with the young ones, you definitely have more parent and family involvement than you do in the schools. Can you share a little bit about that experience? Definitely. When you're working with the little ones, it's a huge parent coaching, parent training element because the parents spend so much time with their child. And if we as the SLPs can train them and teach them like in the moment, then they'll be able to get that repetition and that constant carryover at home. Can you share one of the top questions or situations that you find yourself in when you're working with this population? There are so many questions. And I feel like when a parent messages me or sends me an email or calls me, it's, my child's not talking. When is it going to be fixed? When are they going to start talking? Did I cause this? And parents are just so worried and concerned and they want to know the answers. And what do you say to them? It definitely will vary between each family and each situation, but I find that you really have to listen to the parent and let them be heard and let them know that you are there. Their concerns are valid. Their worries are valid because they may be used to so many people saying, oh, you know, your child's fine. My child didn't talk till they were four. Boys talk later than girls. So parents are constantly hearing, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So then when they come to me, I want them to know that what they feel and what they're saying is valid. And when they get to talk, so many parents will say to me, thank you for listening. Thank you for assuring me that it's not my fault and letting me know that it's okay and that we're going to work together to make progress. So, so true. Parents need to hear that. I mean, I know for me as a parent myself, like I need to hear like, I didn't mess up my kids, right? Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Like you. (laughs) Can you share like a success story or an aha moment that you had recently or that just stands out from working with this population? I find that Every session that I'm spending with the families and I get to see that light bulb go off, that aha, when it starts to click, when you're coaching the parent in that moment and you're helping them. And then they look at you and they're like, oh, now I see why you said that. I was giving him choices. But when you suggested that I actually hold the choices up by my face and by my mouth, this showed him what to do. This was the first time he started to actually move his lips. It's incredible to watch the magic unfold right before your eyes. I definitely find the younger ones you see such bigger growth and and just bigger milestone changes than the older ones. The older ones, it's like you have to really like find like a fine tooth comb to like find some sort of progress. <laughs> like it's really hard to, Absolutely. it might it might not be so glaring from the surface, but just with the little ones that are so moldable and has so much to learn and grow. It's, it's amazing to be able to see that with, with the parents, like right there. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite storybook to use with this population? There are so many books. I love using Dear Zoo, little 
blue truck is stuck and brown bear. And why? Why are those your favorites? They're repetitive. There's lots of pictures and you can pair the pictures along with the actual objects. You can be animated and they're just colorful. So I find that it's really engaging. And I saw they put on your like Instagram, like it doesn't matter, like it's using the same book more than once and giving it a lot of exposure versus like feeling the need to like shove a million books down that child's throat. Right. Because so many parents will say, my kid only wants to read the same book. I want him or her to read a different book. And I tell them, no, no, read that book. Read it over and over again, because children learn those words better and retain them when they hear them in the same book versus in a different book. And that research study was just so really stuck out to me that, okay, there's research behind it. Your child wants the same book. I'm going to give you the research behind it. So then you'll continue to do it. And then they're like, okay, I'm not doing something wrong. Like I'm doing something right. (laughs) And it can be frustrating from someone with a two-year-old who only wants to read like the same three books. And she has a basket full of books. I'm like, all that money that I spent on those books is just sitting there. But like, it's so true. Like who cares? As long as they're engaging with the book and engaging with the vocabulary, like in the end, who really cares? Right. So what is your favorite like toy or activity to show with the parents? One of my go-tos is bubbles. And especially through teletherapy right now, you'd be surprised. A lot out of bubbles through the screen. (laughs) The kids are fascinated by it because the bubbles start going everywhere. They make a mess. And then the camera screen gets all fuzzy. So then we can talk about like, we have to clean it up. There's so many, there's kind of those oops, like, uh oh, and and those are such like teachable moments and that's learning through play. And it's so, so true. So when you're doing with bubbles, do you have it on your end or the parents end? Which end are the bubbles coming from? So sometimes it's on my end where I'm demonstrating to the parent what they can do with bubbles. So we have a whole bubble song and using that stopping and pausing to fill in the words. And then we're popping the bubbles. So sometimes I'll model it. Sometimes we both have bubbles. And recently last week, one of my families, the child and the parent had the bubbles and I was pretending to pop them through the screen and I was making the sound effects. And it was... I, I like switching the roles. Hmm. Changes it up. They don't know it. Like keeps you on their on your toes. It doesn't get boring for you, but also for them, you don't want to be too predictable that like they're not going to learn. So true. What other tips can you give for someone who's wondering, how am I going to do therapy with these youngsters <laughs> via teletherapy? What are some other tips you can offer for someone? It definitely can be scary thinking about how is this going to work? Is teletherapy effective? And I will say it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, and it, it may not work for every child. So for some, you're able to involve the child depending on their age if they're responsive. I started with an 18-month-old, and she loves the computer. She's all about it. So she and I can interact and then I can model things for the parent. And then the parent can 
follow through with the child. And then I can give that feedback in real time. And then other times I'm really just modeling, being that fly on the wall, even sometimes just turning off my camera and observing what's happening. So then I can kind of just quietly whisper things to their parents or coach them in that moment. That's so cool. That's really cool. Even just like being a fly on the wall. That's so cool. (laughs) Like, where's that voice coming from? (laughs) Have you ever dealt with parents that did not take your suggestions or like gave you a little trouble? (laughs) There's always going to be a mix of parents that I work with. Some are really on board. Give me more strategies for my toolbox. Like I feel so prepared. And then Mm -hmm. others are, okay, like, you know, we have another session, like, you know, get the show on the road. Mm -hmm. So with those parents, that maybe are a little more resistant to the coaching sessions, to speech therapy in general, it's really important to build that relationship Mm -hmm. and to work on that partnership and that team and letting the parent take an active role in it. Let them kind of steer the ship on the direction you go and at the pace you move at because if they feel like they're in control and they have a say, they're definitely more likely to want to participate. So if you ask them, what are you struggling with? Or what is going really well? Then you can figure out, okay, so do you want to start with what's going well? And you want to show me what is happening during mealtime or reading time? Or do you want to show me where you're struggling? So when they have that option, there you get that buy-in from them. I love that. I love it. It's all about making them. It's almost like what you would do with like an older speech student, like make it like the child centered approach, but it's like really you still designing it. I love it. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. What other like pretend play kind of favorite activities do you love to do and to elicit tons of language? I love using puppets. I have baby dolls. And the funny thing is, is a lot of the toys that I wind up using are things that I had as a child. My mom's saved everything. <laughs> so it's it's great. I haven't had to go out and buy a whole lot of toys. And so I use a lot of my own childhood toys. So I think that also adds something to it. I have, you know, pretend food, baby dolls, puppets. It's timeless. Things that are just always going to be relevant. So it's totally fine. Have you ever had any situations where the families had a lack of books and toys in the homes where you had to really educate and be understanding and flexible? What did you do in those situations? Definitely. And I think sometimes the best toys are things that are not toys. Your child may be more interested in a box or a paper towel roll than they are that brand new car. Mm-hmm. And I always, when I start with a family, send a material list for them to check off what toys they have. It's things for them to fill in. And then if they don't have toys, that's fine. We can use cups, plates, you know, covers from a juice, anything that they have at home. 
we can use. And I also, if there are materials I want to use in this session, I let the parent know ahead of time. So this way they're not running, oh, could you find me a spoon? Can you find me a plate? Because you want to maximize your time in that 30-minute, 40-minute session so that they're not running around looking for things and then the child may lose interest as well. So, so true. So true. I know those situations. Where's the pencil? Um, (laughs) My own kids. Do you have a favorite like songs and things that you like to use with your clients? Old McDonald is a, is a really great one. I like using Old McDonald because there's animal sounds and those are easy for children to say and imitate. And it's fun. There's movements. I also like Wheels on the Bus. Come on, all the classes. I had to ask. I'm just going through all the different, you know, types. Anything that everyone wants to know, like, okay, I need an idea for like an hour from now. So. Right. <laughs> right. right? Just pull, bring out the wheels on the bus, take a paper plate, what you brought with you for lunch. And like, now there's your wheel, right? Keep it simple. <laughs> Do you use any favorite apps or technology tools to change things up every once in a while? I really don't use a whole lot of technology tools. I mean, there are songs that I like to use from super simple songs. I'd say that's about as as mm-hmm. techy as I get. I have also started creating bloom cards. So I have different feed the animals and different seasonal activities. So we can work on core words and even just as a reinforcer, <laughs> if we're feeding the snowman or feeding the leprechaun or feeding anything. Someone. No, we can, you know, say more. So I can use it to elicit requests. Perfect. Love it. I love anything that elicits those basic. Can you explain for someone who's wondering, like, what are core vocabulary? What can you give a little description, examples, things like that? Core words are the words that really carry meaning. They're words like go and more. They they mean a lot and you need those words. So that's really where you recommend starting when you're working with the young the younger ones who are first building that basic vocabulary. Yes. And do you have like a, a hierarchy that you refer to when you're deciding where to start and go with these children? I like creating handouts and visuals. I'm a very visual person and we're not expected to memorize everything, remember everything. So I create my own handouts to use with a hierarchy of where to start. Mm -hmm, Right. So it's just all going back to like the browns, morphemes and all that fun stuff and, and increasing the MLU. Can you give an example of, for example... Expanding a child's MOU. Give an example of how you would do that with a client, maybe via teletherapy even. So one of the best ways to expand their MLU. So is if the child says one word, then you can add a word to it. So this way you're taking what they're saying. And then if so if they're saying juice, then you could say more juice. If they say ball, you could say red ball. Or you could say throw ball. So this way you're adding to what they're already saying. And what would you say to an SLP who's like, you know, I've been doing that. How long do I wait? It's, I'm not seeing any changes. Like what would you recommend to them who's getting a little frustrated about lack of progress they're seeing? 
everything takes time. It's not overnight. And sometimes it can be frustrating that I just, I want to see that progress. I'm not seeing anything. We've reached a plateau. I'm getting frustrated. The child's getting frustrated. Maybe the parent's getting frustrated. So sometimes maybe just taking a break and working on a different strategy. I mean, I like to only use one strategy at a time as to not overwhelm everybody, but sometimes maybe that technique is not working. Every technique is not going to work for every child. What advice can you give someone? And I know this very differs from state to state and things like that, but someone deciding, do I want to take on private clients or go through the early intervention through like an agency? What would you say to someone who's deciding which route to go for them? I think you really have to look at the different options. Some people want to work for an agency because the agency maybe is already established. They have clients coming in. They have lists full of patients that need to be seen. So you know, you'll get hours, you'll You'll get paid if you work for an agency, but maybe you decide, you know what? I want to do things my way. I want to do things by my rules. So I'm willing to take the time to work on it, to get the word out there and just network with others. So I think it's kind of, you know, how quickly do you maybe want to see clients? How quickly do you want to see the payoff? Or do you want to build something that could stay with you for a while? Mm -hmm. So, so true. And like I said, that really also depends on where you live and access to different things. What advice would you give to someone who's like, I don't know if I have like the energy or the time after working in a school full time to take this on? What would you say to them? If it's something you're passionate about, it won't be a burden. It won't be something like, Oh, I have to do this. You'll look forward to it. I mean, I work in a school from eight to three every day. And then I work with my clients in the afternoons. And those are some of my favorite parts of the day when I know that I get to see a certain client. So, so true. And especially when you're doing something that like you chose to do that extra, not like you didn't choose like your day job, but like rewarding in a different way. You're probably getting a little bit more feedback and pause. I don't know, like all that warm fuzzies <laughs> that you might not get. It's so different. And like you were mentioning before that with the little ones, you really see that growth. You really see that progress. So it's, it, it's a totally different experience than working in a school. So, so true. Is there any trainings or professional development or course, something that for someone who wants to learn more about working with the young ones that you could recommend? I really like the resources from Hannon. I think that they're easy to digest. And there's also a lot of information that is available for free. So it's not necessarily something you have to pay for. Extra bonus, right? (laughs) Any last bit of advice that you have for someone who's considering working with the young ones or is and feeling a little frustrated and deciding that's So for them, one last bit of advice. I think really talking to people who work with the little ones. And even if you've been doing it for a while, sometimes just talking to someone who also does what you do, you can learn so much from your peers. You can learn so much from 
anyone else who's doing it. I mean, Instagram is definitely a great resource. I've connected with so many professionals and parents. So I think that sometimes that could even just be the spark of, oh, you know what? She shared this tip on her Instagram. Maybe I could try that. And then it's like, well, why didn't I think of that? And that's why I love this online space and how much information is at our fingertips. It can be overwhelming at times and it's like take one bit of piece of information at a time. But I love the community that has been developed now that allows so much inspiration when we need it most, right? (laughs) Sure. Can you tell everyone where can they learn more about you and what you have to offer? You can find me over on Instagram at ABG Speech Therapy. I share tons of tips, ideas, research, and I love connecting with other SLPs and professionals. So I would love to connect with you there. You can find me, my resources and parent handouts on Teachers Pay Teachers and on my website, which is abgspeech.com. And you can also find my boom cards. The name of my store is ABG Speech Therapy. And we'll have links to everything in the show notes. So not to worry, guys. So I always end my episodes with a joke because I am a cheese ball. So I figured let's do a fun one. How do you close a letter under the sea? With a seal. <laughs> but um, ching. Come on. I figured with the little ones how to be under the sea. I was thinking all cutesy things. So thank you, Amanda, so much for being here today and sharing all your wise words and inspiration and tips and just inspiring all of us. If you're thinking about working with the little ones, go try it. Why not? You, I'm sure you can make such a difference. And those that are working with the little ones, I hope you got some ideas that will help you incorporate parents, handle the teletherapy that we're thrown in these days and to just be the best SLPs you can be. So thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. Until next week, guys, stay out of trouble. Deciding how to break down higher level thinking skills for our speech students can be a challenge for SLPs in the school. We have so many other things on our plate. The last thing we need to do is try to reinvent the wheel. And that is why I have available for you my free critical thinking visual aids ready for you and free and available on my blog. All you have to do is print them out or display them on a device or smart board or whatever you are using. I have them for inferencing, understanding literal versus inferential questions, compare and contrast, context clues. The sky is the limit. I am here to make things easier for you so you can teach your students, they can grasp those tricky concepts, build that confidence, and be more willing to participate with your awesome speech and language lessons. So head on over, if you haven't already, grab them to speechtimefund.com slash visuals now and get those free visuals today to add to your SLP toolbox. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.